This podcast is brought to you by Smith Game Calls. We've said it once and we'll say it again, guys. The buck and glory is the go-to whitetail call for us here at Non-Typical Nation. We've been using it for several years now since they gave us the first prototype a few years back. And uh, this thing has called in more deer than any call I've ever held, used, or seen. So check out the Buck and Glory, guys. It's a two-in-one buck grunt and doe bleat call. Super easy to use, and it sounds absolutely awesome. This is the Non-Typical Nation Podcast with your hosts, Brody Teal and Eric Labrie. Let's talk hunting and absolutely everything else that goes with it. We're rolling and that brings us to today's podcast. We are creeping up here on uh, prime whitetail season and uh, we we both had an action-packed week previously here. We didn't kill any animals, but we, uh, we were along the way on some... Uh, we we're with some others on some hunts who uh, who got lucky and uh, got some deer down, and uh, you know now it's now it's my turn. That's what I'm chasing here for the rest of the season. And you've got your eyes set on on elk and moose. We chatted about that on the last podcast, but um, yeah, I'm getting excited. It's go time here for whitetails. We've got sort of weird weather right now, though. What's going on with that? It's uh, highs and lows, but it's not really doing anything like that it's supposed to be doing. You know that we're used to. Yeah, so we had, when we got back from that duck and goose hunt, we had about 10 days of like minus 15 and even minus 20 some nights. It got pretty darn cold. The snow was falling. You know, we had a solid four or five inches packed on the ground four days ago. And I was getting used to it. I'm like, okay, great. I'm going to go whitetail hunting here for a few days. Um, you know, this this cold snap, it's got the deer moving and uh, it's going to be good. You know, we might have an early rut this year if it stays like this and uh, I'm ready for it. But before we know it, we wake up, what was it, yesterday morning, I think? Yeah, last or two nights ago, there was uh, a warm wind all night and woke up to no snow A at all. warm wind and we woke up to a ton of rain and no snow. Yeah. And uh, today it was mild as hell. I know we just got here now and it's like plus seven outside. Yeah, it's it's warm. Yeah, it's absurd. It's, Absolutely uh, absurd. So I plan on going hunting here um, in three days for a couple days after whitetail. And I'm looking at the weather and it's supposed to be like 15 degrees. Yeah, this weekend is supposed 13. to get right up there. And, it's crazy, uh, you know, man. and it's not windy like this time of year. Sometimes we get that warm wind, but... Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's not really any wind. It's just warm out. So no wind at all? Or what are we looking at? You like know, a pretty 10K mild wind? wind? Yeah, like a 10, 15 kilometer wind. So you can play the wind at least a little bit with a 15, 20 kilometer wind. Yeah. I don't mind that. Um, have you had much success with, you know, rattling or even calling in mild temperatures like these? Um, I usually just totally hold off of that stuff until, you know, mid-November when it when the weather sort of figures itself out yeah so my original game plan going into this weekend of hunting i had planned to check out some new cut blocks that are quite a ways back and um and do some rattling and calling and see if i can pull something out into these giant cut blocks because you know we've seen it time and time where that's where the deer like to come out in the evening to feed and um and they cruise those cut blocks for for does and other deer um, but now that 
we've got this mild temperature and I think it's, it's sort of going to, uh, you know, slow things down. They aren't going to be as hot and heavy looking for does as they would be if it was minus 15, because the temperature plays a big role in that. Um, now what I'm sort of leaning towards is just spending some time in the tree stand. You know, this, I'm, I'm sort of looking at this weekend, hunting it similar to how I would hunt it in early September, basically, mm -hmm. you know, because chances of rattling in a buck in the middle of October, end of well, October, end of October. So we're getting into that time, but the mild weather just doesn't help. Like you need those cold temperatures I find up here to really get those bucks moving and to uh, get them to come into, you know, a rattle or a grunt or something like that. Yeah, so, so you're thinking you're gonna sit back in the stand. That's that's what I like. I was I've been contemplating it all day today because you had mentioned you looked at the weather and it's supposed to be super warm. And then I checked, and sure enough, we're at 15 degrees here on November 1st. Yeah, like can you believe that November yeah. 1st, 15 degrees? We'll have no snow on the ground. It's gonna be hot, little wind. Um, I just. You know, those aren't ideal temperatures to be using, you know, late season rutting tactics on whitetails. Well, and if there's going to be any time to sit in the stand and not freeze your ass off, that's probably the time to do it. That's true. That's true. So that's that's what I'm leaning towards. I'm going to take two or three days and um, and more than likely sit in a stand. I do have some new spots where I've been meaning to set up a stand, but I haven't. But I have cameras at these locations. So game plan going forward for morning one, I'm going to figure out a stand to sit in. I'll probably sit into that stand till about 12 o'clock, 1 o'clock. And uh, if I have some action, I'll stay in there all day. If things are looking good, I'll check that camera in the morning. If they're looking good, I'll stay there all day. If it's dead slow, well, then I'll figure out a game plan for the afternoon. And, um, you know, I don't like going into a stand late you know, mid afternoon, because on November 1st or November 2nd, um, it's going to be pitch black by 615. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So those deer are going to be moving at that four, five, six o'clock mark. You know, even at three, you're getting into to, that sun starting to slowly lower. So, um, so yeah, you know, I'll either sit there all day or sit there in the morning and then cover some ground, check out some cut blocks in the evening. But, um, but yeah, this weather just threw a freaking wrench into everything, man. Yeah, well, uh, yeah, you just never, never expect a heat wave like this. You know, normally right around Halloween is when we get our first snowfall that sticks. Yeah. But uh, and you know we got it sort of a week or two early this year. Yeah. Well, do it, you remember Halloween last year? Halloween day, it was blizzarding. Yeah, the last few have been you know literally snowing, blizzarding out. Yeah, and so. It's been mild here up until up until two weeks ago when we got that cold snap for 10 days and it was minus 20 some nights. And I thought, I'm like, okay, this is it. We're in. We've got winter. Yeah. And um, and then we wake up and it's raining and windy and, uh, and you know, September, August again. Yeah, and, you know, when so. I was out this weekend, we saw, I started seeing, you know, scrapes in the snow and uh, definitely lots of deer movements. So yeah. I would think that that cold snap definitely got the, you know, at least the pre-rut kicked off and those deer are moving. So it'll be interesting to see what the, the heat does. Yeah. And, and so that's, that's the thing, right? Like, I don't, I don't feel like I have the experience yet. And from what I'm saying, like anyone listening, you can tell I don't have the experience yet. I don't know 
I have a feeling it's going to make a factor. Like it's going to be a factor. It's going to slow them down. Um, cause I've noticed that when it's the colder it is, um, they seem to be more active. They're moving more. They're chasing does looking. I've noticed on the cameras, they're moving more. Um, but you know, on a mild day in November 1st, November 2nd, is there an opportunity at rattling in a buck? I think there probably is a small opportunity, but not like there is if it's November 1st and minus 15 degrees with yeah. snow on the ground, right? But some guys would definitely argue, you know, I, I don't know, either whitetail or deer in general is definitely not my forte, but yeah. um, some guys would argue that once the rut kicks off, you know, it's hard all the time. Yeah. So awesome. Like yeah. that would be perfect, right? And we actually spoke with someone um, who had mentioned that they think it's going to be, it, it is going to be an early rut this year. And he just, this was just two days ago. Yeah, he was he was saying that uh, you know he figures the rut would be finishing off right around that mid November, you know the the twelfth or the tenth. Yeah, and uh, then you know the deer be done by then. Yeah, and this is someone who who works with wildlife for a living. Like this is what he does. He is in the know, um, and uh, yeah, very interesting, right? Like some guys they say no, not until November six. Every single year, once you pass November six, you're good to go. Some guys are like, no, I'm not even touching a pair of rattling antlers till November 20th. Yep. And everyone's got their date, right? Um, but, uh, you know, I've always got the mindset that the biggest factor is going to be your weather. That's going to be your biggest factor. Um, what I think at least is the weather. Um, and then, you know, the moon phase plays a lot into it as well. Like we got a full moon, I think coming on damn near full tonight. Yeah. I think tomorrow or the next day. So, um, and I've noticed too, with these shorter days in November, that full moon, it, that's when it really makes a difference for the game. I find early on in September, when you have longer days, the full moon doesn't do as much for deer and elk that it, than it does, um, in November when you've got, you know, 12 hours of light, mm -hmm. but then you have a full moon, then those deer I find are really moving in the the earlier hours of the evening and in the morning as well. Um, so hopefully, you know, that, uh, that pans out here on the first and, uh, and we have some luck, but uh, I'm still undecided on where I'm going. I'm absolutely pumped right up. Cause this is really the first few days I've targeted whitetail for myself. Usually I've spent, you know, 10, 15 days in the stand at this point, but I just haven't yet. Mm -hmm. So, um, no, I, I'm really looking forward to it. I can't wait. And, uh, and you're, what, what's your plan this weekend? You guys are chasing muleys on Sunday or something or? Yeah. So Katie's got her, uh, her pal course coming up. So she's going to yes. take her, her gun certificate. Is that a one day course or do they do it in um, two days or for, what? for the non-restricted, non-restricted is eight hours. Oh, wow. And then if you're going to do the restricted, it's another eight hours. So you got to, but they usually do it in, in like, you know, if there's a course in town, they'll do both. And you just take both days if you're doing your restricted. I see. Um, so she's just doing the, you know, the non-restricted. So, yeah, I think on Sunday we're going to go out and uh, try and chase some meal deer and some elk. Yeah, that's awesome, man. Yeah. Um, that course, do they do they still do Hunter's Ed now in school? Um, I don't, it was never in my school. It was never in your school. It was never in mine either. But I know Amy, she said her school every year they had Hunter's Ed. Well, they had a very, in that school, they had a very good outdoor ed teacher for a lot That's of years. That's important, right? yeah. And, uh, you know, my school, fortunately, I had some really good teachers, but I didn't have, you know, an outdoor ed teacher that was even in that world sort of yeah. at all. You just, 
was thrown in and told to teach that course. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I, I think it's a good thing it should be in. You know, if you're even even in science class or phys ed or mm-hmm. something like that, it should sort of be incorporated in. Yeah, I noticed one of the schools up north here, I think it was Athabasca or something, they had kids, they were teaching them how to process ducks. Oh, Someone I did see that somewhere. a whole bunch yeah. of ducks, and they were, and that is super cool, man. Super, super cool. Um, we didn't really have anything like that in my school. Like, I went to school in, in downtown Regina, basically, right? So there was nothing like that, nothing really outdoorsy. Um, and you had some pretty cool school adventures. Um, like yeah, I we, remember when, when you first started working at the shop, you were in your last couple of years, I think, of high school. Yeah. And you guys were canoeing in there kayaking in the mountains and yeah you know yeah the last my last few years uh, of high school i went to a very small school here in slave lake you know my the entire school from grade 7 to 12 was at one one year it was like 87 students oh wow so i didn't really you know my whole high school years i didn't have a class any bigger than 12 or 14 yeah um and then as i got later in into high school they just got smaller and smaller so our outdoor ed program really took off and, uh, you know, it was good because there was sort of a small core group of guys that really liked doing stuff. And yeah. So we planned our own trips and wow. did it for the credit and it was That's awesome. That's super cool, man. So, you know, we had, you know, quite a few times we had fish and wildlife bring in like a bear. Oh, okay. And uh, one time they even had it, you know, they brought it into the shop class and, and had it cut open and was showing showing people. No way. You know, not necessarily how to skin it properly, but just sort of doing the anatomy of a bear. Yeah. yeah. And uh, yeah, it was really good for a lot of those kids to see that that you know they live around it, but they never have a chance to really experience it anymore. You yeah, know, no Their doubt. parents or their family aren't into that kind of thing. And then yeah, we did uh, a canoe or a kayak trip every year. Okay. That uh, it was always lots of fun. Yeah, yeah, for sure. That's super cool. Actually, the first year. I think it was the first year I moved here in 2000 and I think it was 2012 um fish and wildlife they had to shoot a nuisance bear that was in town great big fat bear this bear just kept coming back like they release it however far away and and uh it was just a complete problem and he said they re- relocated this thing a couple times and uh and they had to uh, put it down so they brought it into the shop and we ended up mounting it for him and they put it in the high school in town in the library and that was like the first year i moved here and i thought how freaking cool is this that the high school library has this life-size bear in it yeah i've never you know, seen not that. the fact that i mounted it but the fact that a high school has a life-size yeah, yeah. bear in it right and so we talked to some teachers you know years after that and they just said that you know kids if they're having a bad day or something they'll go sit by this bear and i'll just get their mind off of it and what it is too is it's like having a trophy on the wall but yeah. instead, this is in a glass case, and you see that, and you see how beautiful these animals are, and it might just spark something inside of you that says, you know what, I'm going to go buy a bear tag this year and go chase these critters. And uh, yeah, I thought it was just super cool. So they got it in a great big glass case, and it's protected quite well there. And that was 2000, so that was eight years ago now when we put it in there. And uh, yeah, it was a good-sized bear. Yeah, that's cool. I've never and seen that. That was bear. one of the first life-size bears I had mounted all by myself. And uh and it's in that school, so that was neat. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. But um yeah, so to that back to that um firearms license. I actually wrote my firearms license when I did my hunter's ed when I turned 12. So I turned 12, wrote my hunter's ed, wrote my 
Pell and then held on to the sheet till I was 18 and sent it in. And oh man, am I ever glad I did that. Because when you're 18, you've got so much going on. That's the last thing you're worried about. Yeah. Yeah. So luckily I gave that that sheet to a family man and we were just to hold on to. And then when I turned 18, we shipped it off and, and I got it. So um, yeah, no, it's I'm glad I did that. Well, it's it's a super important thing to get. Yeah. You know, eventually, is sometime in your life, you should get it. Yeah. Um, even if not for the gun ownership thing, but just understand and and have the education behind it. Yeah. No, without a doubt. Um, and even like Hunter's Ed, right? You, um, it, it's so good just to have the knowledge of different species of animals. Well, and the biggest thing with either one of those courses is it's all, you know probably 70% of it is about safety and identification, whether exactly. it's identification of animals or identification of firearms exactly. and how to properly, you know, use one. Yeah. Did you see on global news about three days ago, they were talking about caribou and how they're trying to uh, do this reintroduction of caribou in Alberta. No, I didn't. And they showed on the screen, just wait for it. They showed an elk walking down, uh, downtown Jasper. Nice. <laughs> and they were talking about caribou. And so I had a biology teacher, a freaking biology teacher in high school, tell the class that on the quarter, it's an elk. And I was about to just stomp my way out of that class, but I was in high school and I sort of just kept my mouth shut and I could not fucking believe this. And even to this day, I can't believe that a biology teacher is telling his class that it's an elk on the quarter Yeah, when it's... Caribou. Yeah. And uh, and that's fucking stuck with me for so long because this freaking war. And I knew when I was five years old that that was a caribou, mm -hmm. right? And this goddamn biology teacher. Um, but yeah, you know, and you see it. Oh, my gosh. We see it so, so much with this mule deer and whitetail thing. I have a guy at least once a week, just different person every week. Say that whitetail looks a lot like a mule deer. Yeah, that a mule deer sure has antlers like a whitetail. And um, and to me, it's just like, no, like 100% mule deer, 100% whitetail. Yeah. Um, and uh, and it's just, I hear it so much that I just, I'm like, oh, yeah, I just. Well, know, a lot of whatever. guys think they can identify them just by the rack. Yeah. Right. And a deer is a deer. Just like a person's a person. Yes. Everybody's hair grows different. Right? I know. So, uh, yeah, definitely don't don't identify it by the rack. But, you know, you see it all the time on on Facebook, too, where guys are like, you know, what hybrid, whitetail, mule deer. Yeah. You know, oh, it's got big ears. Well, what color is its tail? Or, oh, oh the color of the body looks wrong. It must be a mule deer and this and that. Yeah. And you know what? The photos that sort of stump me are the ones of like just of the ass of the animal. Yeah. Or, you know, like if I can see the whole body, I'll put $100 down every time that I'm going to get it right. But I, I've seen some where guys have just sent the the ass end of the animal and then you see the antlers and the ass end sort of looks like a muley. The antlers look like a white tail, but I can't see that body. I need to see the size of the body, you know, the colors and the facial features, the size of the head to really know right and so those are the ones that stump me are the trail camera photos where you can't necessarily see the whole animal but um you know and i almost feel bad for some guys just because 
you know, some of them just don't know. They haven't been hunting that long and they don't maybe see that many deer and then they shoot, their buddy shoots a whitetail and they're like, oh, look at, this almost looks like a hybrid, guys. Like it's got the antlers of a mule deer and then they have 500 guys that are just roasting them on there yeah. because this guy just doesn't know, right? Um, but what I think it is, is everyone sort of hyped up this whole hybrid thing so much. Mm-hmm. It's like so much. Um, that uh, everyone's almost wishfully thinking that they're, they're, they're the one they're, that gets they've the got hybrid. the one that gets the hybrid. So you you listened to a podcast or you looked into it at one point, didn't you? Isn't it more common than we think? So, but it's, one of the genes is more dominant than the other, isn't it? Yeah. So mule deer. I think this is. Uh, I think it was a, a hunting collective podcast I listened to. So it's like one of the meat eater podcasts, yeah. and they had a. Uh, a biologist or a university pro- professor of some kind that studied specifically mule deer whitetail relationships. And uh, mule deer are definitely a more dominant like animal or a more dominant species than a whitetail. Yeah. And basically, um, you know, I'm probably going to butcher this, but what this guy sort of explained was that um, if a whitetail doe has a choice or if a doe has a choice, whether it's mule deer or whitetail, it will chew. It would rather breed more often with a mule deer buck than it would with a whitetail buck, and so a lot of t- a lot of places where they did all these studies and stuff that this guy was talking about, um, where there was mule deer, eventually the whitetails would move out, or they'd get phased out, or you know they'd breed out whatever, and the mule deer would sort of dominate the area. Um, but that's an interesting thought because here it's definitely the opposite what I've seen anyway, like around, especially around Slave Lake, where I remember as a kid having a lot of mule deer mixed in with the whitetails. Now we have no mule deer. Yeah. Um, you know, you might see the odd mule deer in little pockets and stuff, but there's whitetails everywhere. And uh, almost unheard of now to see mule deer in some places where they used to be um, plentiful, right? Yeah, but I, like I've noticed where we do our elk hunting, there is a lot of mule deer. And there's yeah. very few whitetails. Um, so I've always noticed that when, yeah, when you do have a half decent amount of mule deer around, you know, you're going to see 20 to one ratio mule deer to whitetail. And Amy, they were actually, when they were hunting this year, they, each day they seen a mule deer doe and a whitetail doe hanging out together. Like hmm. every single day, these two deer were together. Yeah. And the mule deer doe was very, very defensive. Like she was very defensive of the whitetail. Like they would drive by and the mule deer would step a few steps forward and look at them and stand her ground. And the whitetail would just do what whitetails do. She'd flag and run a little ways and stand and look at them. But the mule deer would stand her ground. It's almost like the mule deer was protecting the whitetail. And it was considerably larger, which they are. I've noticed that mule deer are are more uh, arrogant animal or like you know they're yes. they're definitely more aggressive i've yeah. actually seen um a mule deer doe beat down a coyote oh, that really? was chasing its fawn wow um yeah we were sitting out i was sitting out along a field with a, a client that i was moose guiding and uh mule deer came out with a fawn it was getting chased by a coyote and uh, they got out into the open. And the mule deer, the the doe, just turned around and started to like stomp at Holy the smokes. at the coyote with its front feet. Wow! And uh, you know, easily fended the coyote off. Yeah. And uh, 
but but I've also seen where you know mule deer will they're definitely a lot more curious. Yeah, very. Curious, you know, if they I've see noticed. us, they they don't just flag and and take off. Yeah. You know, like a spooky deer, they sort of stick their chest out, put their nose up in the air, and walk towards you and sort of look around. Yeah, we had some crazy encounters last year, moose hunting. Amy and I, um, we're calling for moose and this sort of lookout in a bit of a gravel pit. And we knew there were lots of mule deer around. And on three separate occasions that day, we had three different does just walk right up within 15 feet of us. And, um, you know, just super, super curious. Like, if you stay still and you can make noise, like do your your grunts or whatever you want to do, and they're just super curious and they'll just come walking right up. And uh, and I've experienced that before calling elk and I've had mule deer come up and stuff, but Amy hadn't, and it was it was pretty cool to see. Um, but um, but yeah, you know, I think around here, like from what I understand, talking to guys is it was a general season for quite a while in this zone before Alberta went pretty much draw for most for all zones for rifle for mule deer and um and i think they just decimated them you know like just totally killed them off basically yeah and we you know i see a little bit here and there like nothing immediately around slave lake i've never seen any within i would say within 25 kilometers of slave lake as of ever but um as soon as you get to about that 30 40 kilometers um, west or east, you almost you, you see know, them again. You once see you get into the quite farm occasionally. Country. Yeah, 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 for sure. Yeah, but um, but yeah, no, I've never seen them in, like within. There's definitely twenty five. There's definitely a so, small but. pocket um west of town. I've seen a I've seen a few does quite a, quite a few times. Yeah. Um, but you know, never a, never like a population of them. Like you do the whitetails. Yeah. The whitetails are just everywhere around here. Yeah. And the thing with mule deer too is they will stay in their little herds a yeah. little bit more than whitetails will. Like I had some on one of my trail cameras about 40 clicks or so west of here. And um, and I'd have them come through every few days and they'd always be in groups of five or six yeah. or seven. And, uh, you know, there's usually a couple small bucks in there. But... Um, they aren't really like whitetails where whitetails usually like to stay in singles or doubles or triples sort of at the most. And then transition between groups. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then later on, once you get into the rut, well then they're solo. They're all solo. Yeah. yeah. But, um, like one of the big, big whitetails I've been following for five or six years now, all year long until you get into the rut, he's always with about a two and a half year old whitetail mm -hmm. different one every year. But this big buck, he's always with a two-and-a-half-year-old whitetail. And every time he comes into the trail camera or into that trail, the two-and-a-half-year-old always comes about 30 seconds to a minute before he, before he shows does. up. Yeah. The, yeah, That deer's always leading the pack, and every year it's a different deer. But that's how those big ones survive, right? Is because they send those – they they just let the little Walks ones – around with a little bit of bait. Yeah. yeah exactly like super brilliant yeah and and this is in an area that's hunted very very heavily um and every hunting season i see him at night you know i see, get a night trail camera photo a couple times of him and um by the time season's over i'm just praying that he's still alive and that he makes it through the winter and you know five consecutive years in the row this buck's showing up and so um you know i'm my freaking 
trail camera died on me there in uh, late September, and I never got to it for about two or three weeks, so I never got any photos. But I did get some photos of him earlier on in September, and um, he definitely went down this year in growth. Like his peak was last year, and I think we sort of estimated at him right around that eight and a half years old. And so now he'd be getting up there, right? And and he's getting old. Yeah, like at his prime, it was probably a hundred high 180 inch deer just points absolutely everywhere and um you know this year the trail camera I f- photo i seen of him um you know probably lost 30 40 probably like 140 inch deer wow i'm not saying he was that last year yeah that 180 like he just slowly went down the last two or three years but um but yeah it's just insane how those those big old bucks um, how some of them are just absolutely brilliant and can stay alive that long. Yeah. It's unreal. And it's not getting away from hunters. It's getting away from wolves. And wolves are bad up here. Yep. Well, and all the bears in the springtime and the yeah. fall. So actually, yeah, this weekend, um, I was tied up right in the middle of a pack of wolves. Yeah, you got into it. Crazy, man. Crazy, crazy. So um, Saturday, I think it was Saturday. Yeah, Saturday morning. Um, we decided to spend the day as a family and, uh, go out and do a little bit of hunting. Um, Amy has never, ever harvested a whitetail before. She's had a few opportunities. She's passed on a few deer and, uh, and every time she does, she kicks herself because she's like, oh darn, I could have, could have got my whitetail. Um, so we had this weekend planned for quite a while. We were going to go to Jasper and whatnot, but the weather was not great for that. So he said, let's go hunting. So we got up nice and early, um, got, to the area we wanted to get to and right away there's just a fresh pack like a fresh wolf tracks a whole pack there's i think we counted about five or six different different sets of tracks and uh followed these tracks for about three kilometers like these wolves were moving they were moving and then sure enough we turned the corner on a trail there and we see two black wolves 200 yards away and as soon as they see us you know they hop into the ditch and they're probably only sitting 25 yards in there just sitting in the ditch and that's usually what they do and so we just you know we roll up and don't really think anything of it sort of look around don't see them so we carry on and it's not 300 yards down um we look to the left of us and there's a great big gray and sort of goldish brownish wolf crossing a trail um 100 and 100 yards from us maybe at the most and uh, and he was a big boy so I'm like, okay, hey guys, this is it. You stay here. I'm going to get in between those two and do some calling. So I did some predator calling with the Smith game calls. And, um, and you know, I've never killed a wolf before. I've killed a few coyotes, but I'm not a big predator guy. Like, I just don't have the experience yet. But um, did some calling, and then right away, they all started howling. And so there were four wolves in total that were howling back at me. There was the two black ones that we had originally seen. There was the gray and brown one that I had just seen. And then there was another one. And I was right in between the four of them, basically. And so I'm like, okay, this is perfect. I was set up nicely. All I needed was these black ones to come around on uh, on the trail and just pop out, you know, 130 yards, 140 yards ahead of me. Or the other ones to poke their heads out of the tree line, which was... There wasn't a great chance of that happening, but there was a better chance of the black ones coming out. And um, and then so I started howling, and then I let it be for a little bit, and then they started howling, but they weren't really moving. That was the thing. And so I just went quiet for about 10 minutes, and they went quiet. 
And um, by this time, it was like 30 minutes had passed. I'm like, I got to get back to the family. You know, they've gone quiet. And, uh, and we sort of just let it be at that. But just to see those wolves, because we see them, we see them occasionally, but usually you just get a, a very quick glimpse. And that's, I didn't get much more than that. Um, but that second one, you know, that close at about 100 yards, a great big one. And then the two black ones, when they're howling back at you, man, it's something else. Yeah, it's not often you get to uh, you get to experience even seeing them, you know, yeah. let alone getting to play with them like that. Without a doubt, man. Without a doubt. And you know what? We didn't see a single deer track, not a single deer track up to that point. Um, it was just wolf tracks absolutely everywhere. Um, so that was a little bit discouraging early on. And that's why I got back to the truck too, because we were there to deer hunt to get, try and get Amy her first deer, you know, get some grouse as well. So I got back at this point, we were close to about nine o'clock, but we were quite a ways back. We were, you know, 45 kilometers off the nearest highway. Basically we were quite a ways back there and, uh, we just continued to cover ground and it wasn't, you know, an hour later or so Amy spotted a deer, Right off the bat, she's seen it. It was about 250, 300 yards away. And um, she's like, you guys stay here. I'll go forward. So she went. She got to about 200 yards. And I'm watching in the binos. I can barely see the deer because he's down in the little, almost like a, a bit of a ditch type thing. But there's just willows absolutely everywhere. So you can just see the front half of his body. And I'm looking through the binos. And I'm looking at her. And she looks like she's taken absolutely forever. But that's just... You know, moments like this, a second feels like a minute, right? Yeah, for sure. And so um, so she got to about 200 yards. It looked super far for me. I had the deer and the binos the whole time. And, um, and then she shoots. So I'm watching the deer just sort of runs and runs away. So I never knew if she got it. And uh, the kids are super excited. It's funny because every time Rhett hears a, a gunshot, he just starts laughing. Because he relates gunshots to excitement to success yeah. to success and excitement because every time he hears a gunshot well we it's shooting a chicken or he was on our bear hunt with us he's been on a couple bear hunts with us um or you know the deer and whatnot so he's laughing and jackson's like did mom get it did mom get it and i'm like i don't know let's just we gotta wait and see and so she comes walking back to us so how do you feel she's like well i felt all right um, she's like, I, I think it was a, a spiker. I'm pretty sure I seen a spike. I'm like, well, that's fine. If you've seen it and that's the deer you want to shoot. Awesome. And you know, I, I've said several times, like if you listen to our podcast, I've said enough that the goal is to shoot a mature animal. And that is my goal. Right. And, and I've also said when it comes to elk and moose, I don't have enough in my belt yet to be picky. So if I have the chance at a legal bull, I'm going to take it. And that's sort of the, the position she was in here. She had never harvested a whitetail before and she wanted this deer so bad. She's seen that spike. She's like, this is my chance. It's perfect. And she, she laid the, laid the smack down. And so she came back and, um, and yeah, so she's like, I think it was a spike, but, uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure I got it. The shot felt good, but what did you see in the bottom? I'm like, well, that thing just ran. I said, you go have a look. We're going to stay back here and, uh, and see if there's any blood. So she went, she snooped around a little bit, looked, 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 and uh, sure enough, she's seen just a drop of blood. So she comes running back to us, and then we all go up there together, and that deer had just made a little loop, and it went about 25 yards, and uh, and that was it. So at 200 yards, right through the lungs, um, 
it could not have worked out better. Super easy recovery. You know, I think we had that deer gutted and everything by noon. We had a nice lunch out there with the family and it just worked out absolutely perfect. So, you know, to have the kids there and for her to get her first deer and for everything just to work out absolutely perfect, um, you know, you can't ask for much more than that. It's definitely more exciting than going to the grocery store. Oh, without a doubt, man, without a doubt. And she is so damn proud of that thing. Um, you know, and, and the shot, like a 200 yard shot, isn't a tough shot or isn't a, isn't an easy shot by any means. And, um, you know, when your heart's pumping and, and it's your first deer, um, you know, it's, it's a tough one to make. And she did. So that was, uh, that was super cool super super cool but now it's my turn so now i'm pumped right yep. up <laughs> yep. now well I'm hopefully pumped. uh you wait for something a little bit bigger than a spiker though right <laughs> you know what man it's and it's happened like she she said she's seen she seen the antlers um and then she made the the, the decision that she was going to shoot it um but i made that mistake early on like the first year i think i was up here you know you see a deer and you got a general tag so you shoot a doe or a buck and it's in dense bush, and you shoot it, and you walk up to it, and you're like, son of a bitch. That thing's got a 10-inch spike on it. Yeah. So then you're, then you're hoop for your buck tag. But, um, but yeah, you know, and, and that's, like I said, with the elk and moose, right? I don't have enough under my belt to be picky. Now, when it comes to whitetail, um, you know, I've shot a few now, and and I can be picky, right? And so that's how it is with bears too. And I think we talked about in the last podcast, um, you know, once you get comfortable with hunting an animal, you gain some knowledge in, in the hunt and the pursuit of that particular animal. Um, then you can set your bar a little higher. Um, but you know, when you've got a species that you've never, ever shot before, um, the way I look at it is you just got to get that one under your belt. Yep. You know, and that's how it was for mule deer. I got my mule deer draw tag about four years ago. I'd never hunted mule deer, never got one before. And, um, you know, I told myself, I don't want to shoot a spiker. And we passed on a few, but, you know, I'm not going to hold out for a giant because for one, this tag took me three years to get. And for two, um, this is my first mule deer. So if I have the opportunity at a respectable deer, I'm going to take it. And that's sort of how whitetails have been the last few years with me. And so now I'm at the point where... Um, you know, and I've really contemplated and thought about this the last few days because I know if I go to a good enough spot, there is a decent opportunity that I'll have a chance at, you know, a three and a half, four and a half year old whitetail. There might be a 130, 140 inch whitetail. So am I going to take that opportunity? Well, for me, what it boils down to is the circumstances of that moment itself, right? And so... Like Amy, for example, we've hunted with whitetails before, and she's passed on spikers. She's passed on little forkhorns when me and her were, were hunting. But for her, we had the kids with us, and that was a huge bonus. You know, it was a good time of day. It was in a good spot, so everything just worked out perfect. And so with me, if I've got 10 minutes of legal light, and I'm running out of camera light or camera light to film... Um, you know, and it's freezing cold and I have a 130 in front of me and I still have three or four weeks of hunting, I'll probably pass, right? But if I'm getting into that last week or if it's a midday, I've got great video of this thing. I've watched them for a little while. Well, then I might lay the smack down. So it all depends on the circumstances of that moment in particular. Yeah, right? that's how I am too. Like I go in, into any hunt with a goal in mind. Yeah. 
but I, it always boils down to how it feels. And, yeah, you know, exactly. when, it, when you get set up, might just be like, oh, you know, it feels right just to pull the trigger. Yeah. And then sometimes um, it feels right just to film that animal. Yeah. And then sometimes you'll film that animal for 10, 15 minutes. And then you're like, you know what? This is perfect. Let's make it happen. Let's yeah. do it. Right. And so, um, and yeah, you know, and, and that's like my hunt with Jackson that we did. I think we spoke about it on the last podcast, you know, we were hunting elk. It was the last hour of the day. We hadn't really seen anything. A doe and fawn came out, but then a great big doe came out, a dry doe. And we sat and filmed her for a while and I was with Jackson. I'm like, should we? And he's pumped up. So we did it. Right. And so that's what it's all about. It's about, you know, the moment in particular and, uh, yeah, I'm definitely not at the point yet where I, I set a bar and that's the bar, you know, um, I don't have enough under my belt to get there yet. And, you know, it's all about, uh, it's about the moment in particular. So, um, so yeah, no, definitely the plan is, you know, a, a three and a half, four and a half or older whitetail for sure. Um, but yeah, we'll just see how she rolls out. So yeah. And with these draw tags, it's, it's a tough game to play, you know, especially when, when you got to travel several mm -hmm. hours, right? Like if we had, like we talked about this for moose, cause I might draw one next year where we were a little bit closer to home. Um, and then you can be a little pickier, right? Cause we can, I can get out, we you know, several days there, a week, yeah. right? Where your guys' mule deer tag, you got to travel, travel a few hours. So you're going to get out you're going to try and get on the weekends, but you also have moose straw tags as yeah. well. Right. And you have your white tail. So in that case, um, has she shot a meal there before? Nope. So in that case, you know, it's all about how that moment feels, right? Like if you got, if you got a, a three by four or even a, a little three by three with, you know, some half decent respectable, um, and the moment seems right, you gotta, you gotta do it. And especially with like you guys got just a ton going on next month, right? So yeah. you got to uh, you well, got to take moose the is definitely priority, but um, you know moose like we we were just saying you got to travel three or four hours well, to get up into the is moose even area. Further, yes. So you know when we have a day like Sunday where we just one day free, we're, we're going to travel that hour and a half, two hours, and yeah, and just try and get into the mule deer. But you know, I asked her, we were hoping to to hunt this tag basically the whole season because yes. it, it was a draw for bow season, you know, that, that September 17th till the end of November. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, you know, we just haven't gotten out. We, you know, we, el we elk hunted in that area a few times, but, uh, we sort of looked at the mule there as an opportunistic animal until now when, you know, there's no leaves on the trees and you can see them, they're going to be moving in the open country. They're going to be rutting here soon, if not already. And, uh, yeah, we're going to take, you know, these, these short opportunities that we can to go hunt the mule deer. Man, I absolutely love, like you just explained that, no leaves on the trees, the snow, the deer are going to be moving. I love this time of year. Yeah. Like when it comes to fall hunting, I love elk hunting and I had a ton of fun moose hunting this year, a ton. We had some crazy encounters, but there's something super, super special about hunting deer whether it's whitetail or mule deer in november in the snow in yeah. the snow you know and uh and you had mentioned it, you're like i think you got the bug and, and i i think i do i haven't been this well every november i'm this excited about it but um 
you know, I, like I said, I haven't really hunted whitetails for myself yet this season, like specifically targeted them. So, uh, I am beyond jacked right up and I cannot wait to get out there here this weekend. You know, I wish the temperatures were a little bit cooler. I wish they were colder, but you got to make the best of what you have. Well, it's and, coming. And, um, you know, and, by, yeah. by mid next week, it's supposed to be cold again. So yeah, that's good. And so you know, like if I'm sitting in the stand, I'm gonna have my bow in hand. Yeah. If I'm if I'm stand hunting, in in the dense bush, I'm gonna have my bow in hand. And um, and you know, then if if a 130 walks by or 140, well, then it's a no brainer. That's happening right now, right? Um, but then if I got the rifle and I'm in a cut block, well then uh you know, we'll just have to wait and see. So no, I'm, I cannot wait. And, uh, I mentioned to you earlier, I got lost in, in the maps the other day. <laughs> I yep. was just, I had it zoomed right in and I'm following trails and looking at some, some cut blocks and stuff. And, uh, we're so lucky nowadays that we have such detailed topographic maps and satellite maps. Yeah. And access to, you know, years of information. Yeah. So you were telling me about some new uploads you use for Google Earth and stuff for some different files. So how does that work? Like, is it... So you Explain can, a little more into that. You can... Uh, I don't know if you've ever used actual Google Earth I've, app. Yeah, I've, I have used Google Earth. I use it a bit for, for looking into spots. So yeah. I find, you know, I use I use a bunch of different uh, resources, whatever you want to call it, different map programs, um, especially for sheep hunting and... Uh, you know, just looking for access points and stuff. Google Earth is really good because you can, you know, you can use the elevation in the program to sort of see the landscape. And uh, and there's just a, you know, there's a ton of different things you can do with that program. But I just recently learned that you can download um, different maps for the program and just put them right into Google Earth and then use all the Google Earth tools on And so uh, what are these different, different maps. maps showing off? How does it work? So you can get... You know, you can find some some websites have, um, you know, there's not one like source of maps or whatever. You kind of have to find them. So are they a layer programs. that goes over? It's top just of like the a map? layer, yeah. So you you download like a KLM file, like .dot KLM, and then you can get uh, you can get like wildfire maps. It'll show. Oh really? It'll show like a 2016 fire in an area, and it'll show like the whole area is burned. And it's a it's an overlay that goes. And it's over just top like an it. overlay that goes on and top. And so when you so this wildfire one, do you download it per province or where do you? How does that? They're work? they're sort of tough to find. You kind of have to dig for some of them. Okay. Um, there's some easier ones to find, but uh, there's you know there's not a ton. Because those those like five six seven year old burn areas are really good for. For everything, for everything, depending on the landscape, yeah. Like a fresh burn isn't year or so isn't great, but once you give it that three, four, five year old, once that undergrowth really starts yeah. to pick up, yeah, it's yeah, because really that's good. a you know it's a heavily fertilized area after yeah. a fire, so you give the the shrubbery a little bit of time to grow up, and the animals move right back in there. Yeah, but uh, yeah, you can get you know you can get all kinds of map, not just fire maps, but. Uh, you know, there's all sorts of resources out there now that you can you can fit into different programs like Google Earth and and get a lot of information that otherwise uh, you'd only know by walking around. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. Huh, interesting. You'll have to look into that because, um, yeah, you can do a, a lot of scouting on uh, your phone or the computer. Oh, and, absolutely. Uh, very detailed too. I was quite impressed. Yeah. 
Right on. Yeah, right. and there, there's lots of, uh, you know, there's lots of millions of podcasts out there now that uh, that have, you know, that touch on that sort of thing and yeah. YouTube and this masterclass stuff. And yeah, there's lots of stuff, lots of stuff you can figure out pretty easily just with a, a Google search. Right? Yeah, yeah, for sure. So you utilize that for everything, but uh, you use it a lot for your, your sheep. I use it a mountain. lot for e-scouting the mountains just to, you know, obviously save on a lot of time. And yeah. And a lot of miles by, you know, being able to look at a resource like Google. Um, but, you know, it's really good for elk hunting. It's really good for the moose hunting. Um, I don't do a ton for whitetail. It's sort of an opportunity animal for yeah. me. But, uh, yeah, there's there's a there's a ton of things you can do with it. Right on. I even use it for fishing. Really? Yeah. You can see. You, you can, can get depths? Oh, yeah. You can get. Uh, well, so you that's can get the an to- overlay then. Well, or you can just use the topography. The top, yeah of the you know to f- to use the the depth wow. or the terrain of the the lake yeah yeah interesting yeah, there's lots of things you can do yeah i haven't dived that i have went down google earth rabbit holes where you go on like main street like street view street view like yeah. you can go look at the your front door and, yeah <laughs> your, your front yard or your house actually google craziest places to visit on google earth and i'll give you a list of just these like and you can walk right down the street yeah it's crazy yeah jeez times we live in eh times we live in we got an email about a a bit of a halloween thing that uh, jack school is doing and they are quarantining the candy they're giving to the kids what does that mean they they said all the candy has been on a two-week quarantine so they're holding it for two weeks <laughs> The county's been sanitized and quarantined for two weeks. Wow. <laughs> so what that, I, I'm assuming, like I was thinking of that when I was driving here. I'm like, they're quarant because I just read the note and they said, I said, they're quarantining the candy for two weeks. So I guess the logic behind that is the the virus or bacteria could live on the packages for up to two weeks. And I then think it's they already gone. debunked that though. Did they debunk that? I'm pretty sure that's long gone. But then I thought if it's on the package and the person that's putting these into the bags or whatever they're doing, well, they would get it then, wouldn't they, if it was on it? Oh, none of it makes sense. No, it doesn't. No. Just like, uh, the you know, the, the announcing the, the uh, recommendations for what you should do for Halloween this year, right? Everybody should be wearing gloves and a mask plus your Halloween mask. Yeah. And you should... Uh, mm-hmm. You should trick or treat from the sidewalk. And you should hand out candy with tongs or, with a, tongs a, candy or slide. a slide. Yeah. And uh, yeah, don't ring the doorbell. Yell trick or treat. Yeah. Strange times. Strange times. And now they're telling you to rat on your neighbors. Yeah. Yeah, that's an Man, interesting that's one that I heard about today. Yeah. Yeah, that's a. Well, just remember, you know, the government's not going to come boost your car when it's minus 40 yeah no doubt that's true eh? (laughs) so careful who you rat on yeah yeah no doubt so uh you did a little hunting this past weekend yeah did a little bit uh looked for some elk was very unsuccessful um you know came across a few elk tracks a few grizzly tracks uh took my brother out and got another white-tailed doe for him nice you know fill fill some some freezer space and He's doing some smoking here in the next couple of weeks. So, oh, right on. What's he doing with it? So that last whitetail he got a couple of years ago, or a couple of weeks ago that I was with him, um, 
he took the two back legs off of them, kept them whole. Wow. Injected them, put a brine on them, um, soaked them for a week and a half, 10 days. Oh, my gosh. And then he was smoking them today while really? they were cutting up that other deer. Yeah. Wow. So, uh, yeah, I haven't tried them yet, but he, he's doing some, he was doing some bear hams from, for me from uh, my bears this spring. Oh, wow. He's smoking yeah. them, too. So did so, he... What kind of smoker did, does he ever? Did he like make his own rig or what do you do? No, he's got, uh, we, we have two at the house there. Um, my dad's got an old, old like big chief one or whatever. Oh, okay. I don't even remember um, the brand name. And then they have a newer one, a Bradley, a Bradley oh, okay. smoker. So is that a bigger one to hold the deer leg? Yeah, it's pretty big. Yeah. It's, it's, you know, a little bit bigger than a mini fridge. Yeah. It's not huge by any means, yeah, but yeah. Uh, yeah, I've, yeah never... I've got one. I don't use it a whole lot. I use it in the summertime. The only issue is you gotta like you gotta be there and tend to it every. You now gotta and be then, there, yeah. right? So and, that's why and I, I don't I've use never it. touched it. I've never dove into that at all, just because I just don't have the time to sit there and babysit yeah. it. In the summertime, we'll smoke like a, a roast. I've even smoked steaks for like an hour. Like they mm-hmm. don't take that long, um, and they're absolutely delicious. But um, but yeah, I've never experimented too much with it. Yeah, I think he's smoking that deer leg for like 12 hours. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. And then I don't know how long the bear hams will take. I think he sort of got it figured out by weight, but yeah. Uh, wow. Yeah, I'm excited and eager to try it out. Yeah. I actually good? had bear steaks for supper. We had uh we had fresh deer shoulder roast. Wow. Yeah. How did you guys good. cook that? He uh I don't know, he slow cooked it most of the day. It front shoulder off that deer left the bone in it okay um cooked it and made up some potatoes and carrots really yeah it was really good wow pretty good so he just sliced it right off the bone basically yeah cooked cooked it on the bone and then just basically like pulled it off yeah and uh yeah it was just it's like uh, a nice tender you know pulled meat basically nice right on right on yeah i know i had a, a a good bear steak from or a few bear steaks we actually i took out two packs of steaks and um the butcher we got them from they didn't write whether it was bear steak they just wrote steak yeah and so i had one package that said steak and then one said i think it was like loin steak or something and i took them both out the loin steak appeared to be deer and the steak one appeared to be bear so the kids and Amy ate the deer steaks, and then I had the four little bear steaks that were there. And uh, no, they were really good. Um, it's been a couple months since I've had bear steaks. Like, I haven't had them as of late that I can remember. And so uh, I fried them up. And um, can trichinosis die? Like, doesn't it die when you freeze, like in freezing temperatures? I don't know about freezing. Okay. I think if, if it's frozen for well, I I ate them at about time. a medium rare, and I got them down. I'm like, fuck. I'm sure they were they got to 150 degrees. Oh, well, you're still here. I'm still here for now. Well, Ranella didn't notice till about three weeks later. Yeah, it takes some time. It takes some time, but um, no, I, I fried them good. Like they, I fried them for probably, geez, probably eight minutes, nine minutes, and um, seared them really good. But um, you know, it was. I had a tough time trying to get them well done. Like they definitely weren't well, but um, you know they were a little reddish inside. But uh, I didn't check the temperature. But they were delicious. Worth delicious, it. yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, 
but yeah, no, I haven't done bear steaks in, in a little while. So that was a, a nice change. And, um, yeah. So how do you guys, you eat, do you eat bear steaks often? Yeah, they, yeah, they definitely don't last very long. Like we were, we lived on our bear most of summer. It's, I don't have any left. Yeah. And you don't have to cook them to this, to like a sole of a shoe. Oh no, absolutely like you not. I just, like, I just cook them little... really slow. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, a little bit of blood in the middle is fine because okay. it, it just has that to reach the temperature. Yeah. But, uh, you know, I just cook them super slow. You know, I'll take a normal steak. I might, you know, sear it for several minutes, but yeah. a bear steak, I might cook it for, you know, 25 minutes, half an hour, but oh, on okay. a really low temperature. Really? eh? Wow. And then, uh, yeah, they stay tender that way. Yeah. We, we do quite a bit in the slow cooker with the bear and it always turns out absolutely yeah. awesome. Really, really good. Um, but yeah, no, now we, we got that, that bear butchered. So we got a whole ton of steaks and, um, we did some some farmer sausage as well with it, and that turned out awesome. So, yeah, we got a ton of good meat treats, and uh, now we got to get a big set of antlers to hang on the wall. Yeah, I got <laughs> You know, I'm still working on the freezer situation. I haven't. I still haven't well, killed anything we don't all have fall a at whole all. Lot right? Like we got the two deer, the bear. Um, I was hoping to get an elk, but I don't think I'm gonna have time for that. I think I'm just gonna, you know, put all my eggs in for this deer. So. But you, you guys got two moose tags still. Yeah. So all yeah. you need is is one, and you're filled right to the, well, to the brim. Well, one would be very nice. One is overdue. Yeah. But, uh, you know, two would be splendid. Yeah, yeah, for It'd sure. be awesome. Well, November 1st is coming up quick here, and then you guys, all your tags open up. So yep, that's exciting. It is, yep. Yeah, yeah. you know, you mentioned you love the, the late season deer hunt, but when i was hunting this weekend i just kept thinking man i can't wait till i'm looking for a moose yeah because we were doing you know we were covering ground checking cut blocks walking into the back of cut and blocks and stuff prime moose country too prime moose country you know i even i saw a moose saw lots of moose signed um, a bull or a cow i just saw the back half of it i think it was a bull cause oh, okay it was pretty pretty big body yeah. but uh yeah i didn't didn't see it for long enough to to uh to know but yeah, just looking for deer in cut blocks, it just makes me wish I was looking for, you know, an animal four times the size, yeah. <laughs> darker color and bigger antlers. You know, and it's like the, just the adrenaline rush you get when you see a big animal like a moose or an elk is is absolutely unreal. Like there's not much that matches that. Well, and deer has become a thing you know when we were kids even deer was always just like okay well let's just go out and get a deer super easy you know super simple yeah. kind of nothing to it um maybe that's why i never really caught the whitetail bug like to sit in a stand for antlers yes and see whitetail has never been super easy for me whitetail hunting bucks mm -hmm. like it's never came easy for me not once like last year i shot that deer on the last day of the season year before actually the last three years it's been the last day or second last day of the season that i got the deer and my luck has been exactly the same in my my adult hunting yeah um but when i was a kid my you know my dad's just one of those guys where we'd go out you know maybe 10 days a year at yeah. most and uh you know we'd knock something down every yeah. other time um and you know he almost always shot a buck every year and uh and good ones too but we never really did anything significant for it. Yeah. So I've sort of got this underlying, um, 
just belief that you know eventually it's gonna happen i'm gonna yeah. get a big white tail and it's, <laughs> it's gonna walk out in front of me but and uh, it will man like there's it, oh there's it will I, sp- I spend enough time in the bush it's just it might take five years for that to happen oh, absolutely 10 and, years for that and to you happen. know when i've been guiding for moose and not had a whitetail tag there's been a bunch of times where a massive whitetail just walks out and you know guys are like well don't you have a whitetail tag i'm like yeah but i can't yeah. you know i'm not gonna hunt when, when we're hunting for you yeah exactly um so you know the opportunity's been there but it, it'll all unfold properly when the time comes yeah for but, sure but just to you know to chase moose um a bigger animal it really feels like you're you're you know you're getting something out of it. Yeah. Where deer just to me lately it's just it's super easy. You know, it's it's simple. You just you know, you grab a leg, I grab a leg, throw it in the back of the truck and and we're done. Yeah. Well um, I, the thing I like about deer is they're plentiful, right? Yeah. Like if you're sitting in a cup block when you get to shoot three of them you're a year. Going to, yeah. You're yeah. But but you're gonna see something. You know, you're going to yeah. see a, a doe run across or you're going to see a buck chase a doe or you're going to see a spiker. You're going to see something that's going to entertain you for a little while. You know, mind you, there's been definitely been days where I haven't. Well, and you're not you're not going to wonder that you're in a totally wrong spot. Exactly. So you're like there's deer somewhere. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And so that's what that's what gets me so excited. And, um, you know, I haven't sat in the tree stand this year. Haven't checked the camera in a little while. So right now, I've got a lot of excitement about the unknown. Like, I don't know what's there. I don't know what's, you know, been walking around. And uh, I'm going to be hunting some new areas too. So um, the unknown is uh, is very exciting to me right now. And that's uh, and that's what I'm really pumped up for. But I can't wait. It's going to be a, a fun couple of days getting back out there and, um you know, I love sitting in the stand, but I also love covering ground and walking. And the nice thing about that is you can find some of these nice clearings and cut blocks and cut lines to sit for an evening or a morning. So um, the whole exploring aspect of it is just uh, super thrilling. So I'll probably end up sitting in the stand in the morning and then uh, swap it out in the afternoon for uh, for something else. But uh, yeah, I'm pumped, man. Can't wait. It's going to be lots of fun. One, yeah, month, be... one month left. Yeah, one month left, four more weeks, and um, and that's it. That's all. And who knows, right? Like if I can get a deer down, man, then I might transition to late season elk. Yeah. So. Yeah, if you get it done early. Yeah, you know, and I was looking back. I think it was the twenty eighth of October. The last moose or last elk that I got, like it was late, and he was still herded up with his cows. It was him and I think seven or eight other cows um and and so you could get them like we've had them bugling into november before they just don't come running in because they don't have the energy they do in september yeah but um that's the cool thing about elk though is they're a vocal animal all all, all through the year and at that point you just got to listen for them and once you can locate where that bugle is coming from just make your way slowly in and and go from there but uh yeah we got a very exciting next few weeks ahead of us so i hope so i hope it's not just bad weather and (laughs) and insanity well, you know, now at this point, what is bad weather? Like this, this weekend coming up is probably the worst case scenario. Well, I would get, yeah, I would get, I would say bad weather is the unexpected, which is this heat, right? Yeah. We sort of expect that minus eight, minus five, minus two through the day, you know, the, the nicer. But plus 15. But plus 15. Yeah. On so the that's first worst is... case scenario. And so the way I'm looking at it is, 
is this is the worst. It can only get better. From even here, minus right? thirty five is kind of standard. You know, That's for a few eyeball days. Eyeball freezing weather. Oh yeah, that, I but, almost froze my eyeball. But how many year. times have we been hunting out in that cold? And yeah, you know, it's just the way it is. Yeah, Where guts are freezing as they're falling out of the animal. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. No. It's. Uh, yeah, and you know what? In that case, I would actually. Like this plus fifteen is a mess. I can't believe that we're hunting fifty plus fifteen. Maybe swatting mosquitoes in again in November. Yeah, um, but you know the minus thirty five. That is so uncomfortable to hunt in. It is, but at least you know the animals have to be moving. They have to be feeding because yes. it's so cold. That's true. And uh, you know, I've I've had a lot of luck in the in the super cold. Have you ran a camera in that weather though? Oh, it's difficult you yeah. got to keep the batteries on your body and yeah it's not easy yeah yeah but uh you know if you can if you can be dressed properly uh, you can see a lot in those really cold days especially when it's you know not windy necessarily but just frigid just super cold yeah yeah i'm sure we'll have a few days like that here in the next uh, next few weeks so but yeah this is the last podcast till we uh, dive on deep into our next uh next hunts for ourselves right like this yep. past weekend you hunted uh, for your brother and I was with my wife this past weekend and, uh, you know, going forward here, it's, uh, it's go time for us. So. Yep. Right on, right on. Well, let's wrap her up, man. Best of luck. eh? hopefully you guys can get something down and uh, hopefully I have some stories to tell for the next podcast too. I got to pull the trigger eventually. (laughs) Waited two months. (laughs) Thanks for listening guys.